We got some major stadium news and some major hirings in the Frontier League. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We are back again. Episode number 195 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick Heaswell. We're closing in on that, uh, I guess, quarter of a millennium mark would be a way yeah. to describe it uh but certainly dueling centuries is another way of looking at it wait 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 quarter of a millennium in a way i meant the fifth but technically a quarter is also kind of there it's only 55 off from that which i which i grant you is like a year away so yeah not necessarily closing him but i mean when you think about it we're closer to that quarter of a millennium mark than we are to a tenth no i i i'm with you but i mean i, I was just thinking like oh you're probably talking about cl- closing in on 200 but then like it's not a quarter i so. mean i certainly was but i'm not really known for my you know what if the empty ball report gets to a thousand if we get to a thousand i'll be very impressed because what would that be like uh that'd be a large like long year stretch that'd be a long time what I mean? What would it be? Probably close to eighteen years, right? Oh, yeah. Like if I'm doing the math just right quickly in my head, then it it'd be like nearly two decades of this. Wowza! I mean, quite frankly, that would last longer than a lot of independent league teams. Way longer. <laughs> Which it would kind of low key be funny. In a way, but at the same time, it would be kind of sad. Which, my mistake, it's closer to 19 years. It's slightly over that. It's about 19 okay. years and three months. Okay. Yeah, so, well, we're not close to 1,000, but we are close to 200. We are. And that's something that's worth noting. Because, really, the goal is like 365. So, that way, in theory, you could listen to a different episode every day of the year without having a repeat. That you think people do that? I hope they don't for their own sanity. <laughs> that'd be that'd be pretty amazing if they did, though. If I, someone out there did. I'd respect the dedication, but then also recommend a psychiatric evaluation. Is what I would say to that. With that said, you know who doesn't need an evaluation? Oh, the people that manage the great province of Quebec because they see the importance in preserving athletic institutions. What makes you say that? Well, I would say the about $11.3 million they plan on putting into the uh, Greater Stad Canic Complex over the next five years would be the the real thing that would really make me say something like that because they're going to be doing a massive renovation over there. To see that kind of money, go, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, it, it's cool that you see like the city kind of investing in that because I guess it's not... I mean, of course, like you have like like stadiums that are that are publicly funded or even publicly owned. Uh, really, rarely do you see that that kind of money being put in, like for re- planned renovations of the next five years. But I mean, that's gonna really gonna improve that stadium and keep that team around for the long haul. That's 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 really cool and great for the people of Quebec and uh, and those fans as well. It certainly is. I mean, especially because as we're going to go through this story here, you can see that they're really kind of trying to invest in not just your standard kind of like outward facing amenities, but everything kind of just generally as a whole. It seems more of a refresh 
than it is like an upgrade, if that makes sense. Uh, as I'm about to say here, uh, the plan is to get this done over the next five years. So the renovation will be complete in 2027. So this is kind of a phase type deal where year one, they're going to accomplish certain goals, year two, other ones, and just kind of generally break it apart into more bite-sized chunks. So that way you don't have ongoing work whilst you have baseball being played and whilst you have other events there as well. Uh, the main thing our main upgrades are to building aesthetics, so like the outward canopies, uh, new entrances and exits, general repairs, new bleachers, and new lighting. If you recall, there was a power outage during the championship series last year, although that was more due to a problem with the actual electric provider, Hydro-Quebec. But even still, they'll have new, what I believe to be stanchion lighting, of course, on going off of an article that was translated from French to English. So not everything's going to be a one-for-one switch over. If I understood French, I would have just read it as it was written and that we would have uh, no uh, lost in translation effect here. But unfortunately, I am not bilingual. Uh, that said, though, $1.4 is going to be spent this past year, and the option was either to renovate uh the Canuck Stadium, or to just build a brand new one. However, when you do the numbers, it was either uh, about 11 million in renovation or 30 to 50 million in, you know, building and constructing a new ballpark. Of course, that is all in Canadian money as opposed to American money. Uh, so there is a bit of a drop off if you were to do it in American money. I imagine that number is probably about 20% less. It depends on what the exchange rate is right now but i believe it's about 80 percent of an american dollar is a canadian dollar but that's that's kind of displaying here is the important thing here to really grasp is they're going to be doing a lot of work to the stadium to try and extend its uh lifespan right because i mean of course in independent league baseball you're always trying to uh, i guess as far as the renovations you're trying to do what you can and of course because pretty rarely do you have a case where you're able to have a second stadium from the uh from the time that uh from the time that really goes under underway honestly nick do you know of a a franchise that i guess like built a stadium for their inception and then have since built another one i don't think so I don't think having actually built it the first time, I know with St. Paul, they explicitly built something for themselves the second time around, which is kind of why they're a AAA team now. You know, they, yes. you know, they have that. And obviously there are a lot of cases as we're going to discuss in a little bit where there is a ballpark built with the intention of putting a team there, whether affiliated or unaffiliated. But as far as like, okay, we're going to build one explicitly for a team and then we're going to build a new one. On the independent level, there's nothing that immediately comes to my mind. There may be a case of that, though, but I just I can't think of one off the top of my head. Right. So, I mean, you're always looking for for ways to improve the stadium without uh, just to keep its lifespan going, keep the team alive. And, <laughs> and it seems like that really that's what the city of Quebec is, is doing. And, of course, you mentioned the, uh, the power outage uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, big problem. That's going to need to that's going to need to be fixed. And. Uh, kind of putting a new one in there as well. So uh, it's really cool to see, I think, that the city kind of putting that type of investment into uh, into an indie ball team uh, like the Capitals. And uh, it's uh, it's good to see. And I think uh, it's why that 
they are one of the best franchises in all of independent league baseball. And I think that's, I feel very confident saying that. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that you saw even during the power action, I was going to mention, we did get that kind of awesome moment with the, uh, with the phones in the dark and everything. Like, that was really cool. You see a lot of it there. And honestly, Quebec is one of the, like, I think most underrated markets for those looking from the outside in just because of the amount of support that they get. You know, the Canadian markets seem to be either, like, feast or famine, where you have markets like Winnipeg and Quebec where they're just rabid. They're always there. They're really supporting their teams. And then you have other markets that aren't as, you know... I guess, uh, aren't as fervent, uh, in their teams, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely good to see them getting that money put in there. And of course I've had to go ahead and try and do the conversion rate here, at least from what it is right now, it's about uh, three quarters of an American dollar. So it's about eight and a half million that's getting put in here, American. So still a large sum of money, certainly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot, a lot of money being put in and the stadium's going to really improve. And that's certainly great to see for, for capital fans, for sure. Definitely. And on that note, we're going to go a bit further south, all the way to Shreveport, Louisiana for this next bit, which is also a stadium that is uh, well, not quite on the renovation side of it. Because if you remember a couple weeks back, we mentioned that Shreveport was talking about putting in a new ballpark and there was all sorts of, uh, you know, kind of complexities around that if you want to go back and listen to those you can certainly go back and find that episode i think it was like 190 191 like back roughly right around there so it's about a month or so back but anyway there's new updates on that front so we figure we update you on that and before we continue on uh as far as shreveport goes fairgrounds field the existing field that's hosted both a Texas League team and an American Association team uh, that is set for demolition with a plan to replace it with a new ballpark uh, kind of going in there. The plan is for it to be multi-use, so have soccer, baseball, and uh, concerts and the like to really kind of take over for it. Uh, the city is partnered with REV Entertainment to build the stadium. Um as I previously mentioned, it's a multi-use plan. This firm is headed by Neil Liebman. Uh, Liebman is a managing partner of Top Tier Sports in addition to being the head of REV Entertainment. Why is that important that he's with Top Tier Sports? That's because Top Tier Sports owns a stake in an American association team, namely the Cleburne Railroaders. So the reason why we could obviously say this is important is because if you're building a brand new ballpark, you want to have a kind of a permanent tenant there, a tent pole tenant. The American Association is always looking for good markets to go to. You already have someone that's familiar with their business that clearly has, you know, some interest in remaining part of the American Association. That kind of gives them a foot in the door to go into a market they were previously in as well. You would assume with a brand new ballpark with money being put into that area that this would be kind of an ideal market to go into. It would also kind of help Cleburne out as well, give you more of a true um, team to go to. I believe when we went through all this, we did the math and how far it would be. And it, it definitely helps out with the South division, uh, or I guess they went East and West, but you could go back to North and South a little bit easier if you were to go to Shreveport. So that's kind of the unspecified leading contender. If this gets built, the reason I say if it gets built is because you still need to finalize plans and the city, <coughs> 
in the city of Shreveport is currently in the midst of a runoff election that are that is going to take place in the middle of December as to figure out who the next mayor is going to be. Both mayoral candidates have kind of been lukewarm on it, not saying they're for it, not saying they're against it, kind of just saying like, oh, you know, if we can make something work financially, it'd be great. You know, it seems like a good idea, but we have to look at the like the greater plan we're just in the planning stage so it's a very lukewarm we're interested but we really don't want to pay for it and we need to see what the whole deal here is situation so uh i guess the too long summary is they're tearing down the old stadium they want to build a new stadium it would it would be with rev whose top managing partner is a managing partner and a firm that owns part of an American Association League team. So if they build a stadium, the American Association is likely a front runner to go in there. Yeah, I think I think Shreveport, uh, if and of course this is still a, a long way away mm-hmm. uh, from, from actually materializing, but I think that Shreveport would definitely be an American Association fit, a pretty easy American Association fit too, and a good one uh, in that. But it is interesting, I guess, that um, the kind of the reactions of both of the mayoral candidates um i don't know if it's maybe that's just like politician talk and maybe they would be interested maybe they wouldn't uh but i mean i feel like it, it's kind of like the easy response to say like yeah i mean it sounds like if you're saying would you like a stadium or would you not like a stadium the answer is yes i would like a stadium but then when you get into how are you going to pay for it um i think that uh that's where that's where you have some disagreements and so uh I guess it's not uh, it's it's interesting as far as like how much is you know, RV RV entertainment going to going to foot the bill compared to the city of Shreveport and that's all stuff that needs to be worked out but if it can be worked out I think this is a really um, strong option for the American Association if it can get there uh, if they're and it seems like they're interested in putting professional baseball there. This kind of seems like a, a home run American Association fit if they can make it happen. But I think that uh, it's it's interesting that um, it's interesting for sure that whoever takes over as far as uh, the new mayor, it's all it's ultimately going to fall on on their desk and as far as their agenda. And I think that's uh, I think we'll get more clarity once that once that kind of happens, and I guess they get into more specifics of whoever wins in their job. Uh, but it's it's interesting because the the lukewarm characterization that you made, Nick, I think is right, uh, and it's important because uh, any you know, I mean, the old mayor, of course, is all was all in onto this, but uh, but at the end of the day, like the. They're going to have to make an agreement with the new one as well. So uh, I think it's still a developing story. Still a lot more to, still a lot more to get to eventually. But uh, the the lukewarmness, I guess, of the uh, of the mayors to it, and maybe it's just political talk. I don't really know politics very much, but uh, and I'm not going to pretend to know. But uh, it's interesting that they neither of them have come out and said, "Wow, this is a great idea." I guess they haven't come out and said this is a horrible idea, but it's just a matter of who's going to pay for what, which is, you know, politics in general. Yeah, I think it's it's more or less a play on you don't really want to commit to building a stadium that is going to, you know, potentially run you, you know, tens of millions of dollars, will likely run you tens of million dollars from when we get down to it. I mean, we saw from the last store we covered in Quebec, building a brand new one will cost you 10 
to or 30 to 50 million in Canadian. Now, granted, you again knock off a quarter of that price point, even still, you know, you're looking at a large sum of money. You're still looking at, you know, over $25 million to build this thing. So for a city like Shreveport, even, you know, fronting half of it takes money out of the budget. You have to figure out ways to fund it. It's not like you're just throwing that money up front, but you have to pay people, you know, up front. So you'd have to sell bonds. You have to do other things to raise that money, or you have to cut certain services and whatnot and cutting services is never really a popular thing. It's all about figuring that part out. So I definitely get that on that front there. Plus, when you're running in an election, a stadium can certainly seem like a luxury item when there's other issues to address and other things to go after. When you say like, oh, yeah, by the way, I want to spend the city's money on building a brand new baseball stadium from which we haven't had a baseball team here in, you know, what, about a decade? And the last few times it hasn't exactly been horribly successful here either. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just a good decision because economic reasons it's not exactly the easiest to sell so i don't really expect them to come out and say that plus if you do come out and say hey you know i'm in favor of this let's get this done it also weakens your negotiating position right like if you're all gung-ho for it then you're like oh well if i'm rev and it's like well you said you were gonna build it you seem like you really want it now either you're gonna have to walk that back or you're gonna have to kind of give more on your position. So I don't think anyone wants that from their perspective there. That being said, still, I think something probably gets built. There's enough going around on it. And more importantly than that, I just don't think you demolish something that is still maybe not the most usable thing, but salvageable, unless you have an intention of replacing it. So from that perspective, I do think something gets done there. But uh, I do think we're kind of a ways away. I wouldn't really expect to see anything, you know, really get moving till the end of 23, probably. Possibly 24. I think it is kind of a long-term goal on that front. Just because, I mean, when you go from planning stage to actual construction, it's going to take some time. You know, that's just the reality of it. I mean, look at Hagerstown. In 21, the plan was to build a new stadium, have a team in there for, you know, what was it, 22 or 23? And now all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we'll have a stadium built and we'll have a team in there for 24. So it takes a while to get it done. And that's in a situation where you don't have as many complications. Granted, they had other legal complications acquiring the land, which kind of sort of exist here as far as the demolition part goes. But... Yeah, I, I think it's a long-term thing, but I do think it's something that does get done. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I think there's... I think long-term you would think something uh, like that would get done. Uh, hard to say definitively at the moment because it's still it's still such a long time away, but you really hope it can, de- it can get done because there is, uh, there's definitely a lot of potential uh, with this market and uh, it being like a good American Association fit. So I... I hope something gets done, done, and that's the route they go because uh, I think it could work well. But, uh, but still, a, quite a quite a long way, long way away from that. Definitely, and I just want to end it with this thought: Wouldn't it be funny if the Atlantic League grabbed it? I then I would just be confused. But yes, it would be funny. We need someone to fill in for the Sugarland way the hell out of the map of the league category. 
it's not the same being able to yeah, travel by the, bus for all of this. The, you, you take a bus for every single team except one. <laughs> we need to fly into Shreveport. There may be a hurricane. Don't ask questions. Maybe. Oh God. There might not. There also might not be a hurricane. Yeah, we don't know. But there's a definitely a tropical depression coming around the Gulf, so we'll keep our eye on it. But yeah, I, I just kind of want to see the Atlantic League just say, you know, screw it, we're going to take this market because we can. Although nowadays, I think the American Association can go in. Eh, not really. It's our market, so get lost. Yeah, that I feel like that's probably more likely. Yeah, but you know who isn't getting lost? Oh. The Boomer staff, because Jamie Bennett and Michael Larson just got three-year extensions that are going to take them through 2025 because they're both good at their jobs. Yeah, they're both very good at their jobs. And, of course, I mean, Jamie Bennett has done an unbelievable job uh, over the last few years specifically, and not to mention, I mean, <clears throat> uh, of course, with, with the championship in, in 2021, of course. But, I mean, in 20, just the, the playoff success that they have had in, in his tenure has been has been quite impressive i think it speaks to a lot of him i think they, as far as uh extending him uh and extending um gm uh, the gm michael larson as well it just it makes a lot of sense and i mean ben is and ben specifically has done such a great job and that postseason success really sticks out uh with him and and the boomers organization as well yeah definitely i mean 517 and 453 record will do that for you. Going to back-to-back championships will do that for you. And I believe I read on their site uh, that they had, up until this past year when they lost to Quebec in the championship, won 11 straight playoff series, which is just kind of a crazy thing to think about. That They went that many years just like, yep, we're going to make the postseason. And then when we make the postseason, we're going to win a championship because that's what we do. So Jamie Bennett, the lone manager in Boomer's history, Certainly worthy of that extension. Michael Larson, no no different here. He topped on in 2018 and since then has won two Executive of the Year awards. A guy that's definitely been good for the organization, good for the ballpark too, just from a non-baseball perspective. But also, obviously, from a baseball perspective, he's uh, managed to continue the success that the Boomers have had historically and certainly the past two years have been very good for them as well. I'm with the championship in 21. <laughs> ah, I had like air go up my nose, supposed to going down. That was weird. <laughs> but obviously, with the championship in 2021 and the uh, near championship in 2022, so definitely good extensions on both their parts. Yeah, totally, and a no-brainer. And excited to see what what the two of them can continue to do with uh, with this organization and see if more playoff success is on the way. Hopefully it is for them, but they may have some competition in Lake Erie who rounded out their coaching staff. Uh, Jared Lemieux added a guy that he's, you know, a bit familiar with from his time in New Jersey and that Frontier League fans are certainly familiar with because, of course, you'd be familiar with your all-time hit king in Santiago Chirino. He's going to get added to the staff. Hitting coach, he'll be a player coach for this upcoming year. Uh, as I just mentioned, he's the Frontier League's all-time hits leader, but also their all-time at-bat, game played, and runs scored leader there. The hit number is just a shade over 900. So if he manages to put up about, I think it was 93, 97 hits, something like that. This upcoming year, he will be the first player in Frontier League history to hit a... Th- for a thousand hits, which is really a remarkable 
accomplishment when you think about between the games played and just to have that kind of longevity to last that long to get that many hits and to have that kind of consistent production is really quite impressive. Yeah, so impressive. He is he is, continues to amaze and is, is truly such a consistent hitter uh, in, in in the Frontier League. I mean, with his time with Normal as well as uh, the Jackals too. And I think that um, it's cool to see him start to. I don't know if this is if he views this as like a way to start to da- like kind of dabble into the the coaching end of things as well. But he certainly, I mean, this is when you talk about a player coach and an ideal uh, candidate for a player coach. I mean, Santiago Torino to totally fits that billing uh, because of his experience in indie ball and also he's really good yeah. uh, and he's he's still really good. And not to mention, he's just a he's also a, a really good addition at the top of the lineup for, for Lake Erie as well. And, you know, I mean, Lake Erie has struggled quite a bit. Um, so they need a bat like a bat like this on, on, a, on the surface as far as the player end of things. Uh, but I think the uh, it's interesting to see him kind of start to nibble in the, in the coaching end of things. But, hey, I mean, he's, uh, I believe he's 31 at the moment, so 31 years old. So uh, it, it's, he's been around and uh, cool to see him start to get into coaching a little bit. And I think that uh, I think for Lake Erie, it's really uh, uh, it's it's a, it's a nice move, one, to get that bat into the lineup. Uh, and for to for to get others to others to learn from him. Certainly, I mean at 31 though he's still in his prime. He's still got like three or four years. You know, yeah, he's definitely got that. And frankly, I could see him getting, I think a thousand hits is certainly something that's achievable. But I kind of wonder where his number is going to be at. Like, is it going to be 12,000? Is it going to or not 12,000? Is it going to be 1,200? Is what I mean. If he goes to 12,000, I'll be really impressed. But if, will he get to 1,200? Will he get to you know? Will it be more like 1100 What's that number for him? So I'll be interested to see that. But you are right. Well, I mean, at this point, going to a player coach thing, is it just like, hey, if we call you a player coach, we can pay you a little bit more money? Or is it a, why don't you do this? You know what you're doing. You've been around for a while. You're an experienced ball player. We think you have something to do in that regard. Uh, I don't quite know what it is. It makes sense though that he'd add that Gerald Lemieux would add a guy that he's familiar with, that he's worked with for a couple of years now, and that you know presumably he knows fairly well. So it makes sense on that front. Lake Erie's also a team that uh, you know they had a lot of up and down uh, in recent years. So to be able to you know kind of do something a little bit different with the coaching staff, but while still adding someone that's going to be a productive player, keeping him younger coaching staff as well i think that's something that's very interesting and i'm going to be very curious to see how that plays out yeah really curious to see how that plays out and uh kind of what this means for him in the future as well but i think that uh i, I think it, it's a good move and again big it's a it's a, it's a big addition into like Gary's lineup yeah, certainly there and uh, as we shift from kind of inexperienced coaching we go to someone that's certainly experienced with the Empire State Gray's new manager. Now, what I will say before I announce who it is, I got word of someone that could potentially be hired, who now we're going to wind up saying their name because they did get hired a couple months back, where they said, where someone sent me a thing going, hey, Empire State just posted this promotional image. But then they quickly deleted it. Do you think this person could be the manager of the team? And I was like, I mean, maybe he's done work with them in the past, but I don't really think that's the case 
why would someone that with this kind of resume want to work for Empire State? But now that Mark Mason is the new manager of the Empire State Grays, replacing Gil Rondon, I certainly don't look great. There's some egg on my face for that because uh, the Empire State mistakenly posted that about a month ago. And like I said, I just didn't think you'd want to go to a team that was six and ninety. And I genuinely thought that once he was done with you know York, either he'd be taking a, you know a little bit of time off before he went back for a new job, or he'd be looking for you know an established team that he knows will exist for a while, and you know he'd still work with the Empire's league because he did that back in i think it was 2020 he started working with them and he managed one of their teams that year being that the atlantic league wasn't doing anything but like i just didn't think there would be a possibility of him wanting to go to uh a team that i think we could rightfully describe last year as a shit show uh and one that quite frankly probably should have should not have been brought back i will say did I think Mark Mason was going to manage again? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the Empire State Grays, no idea. I mean, this totally came out of left field. And not that it's not a good hire, uh, I guess, because who would technically... I guess that would be the league that would uh, that would make the hire, right? You would think her. I would imagine it's the Empire State League, that would, or Empire League, I guess is just what yeah. it's called. I imagine they would be the ones to make the hire because they're the ones technically running the team and paying for the team, which I guess is why they were brought back. Because, you know, it's not like a formal, like, Frontier League ran team, like how the Road Warriors are in the Atlantic League. That third party's paying. That's why we normally see, like, the Pecos League All-Stars under the Houston Apollos banner get ran out yes. there because it, it saves expenses. So I guess nobody else wanted to step up or they're like, hey, we like how you did last year. Why don't you come back even though your record was abysmal? Yeah, so I, I think that... Um, I, I And, of course, Mason has had, you know, ties to the Empire League for quite a while now. He brought in a lot of those... Empire League guys to York too. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a well established connection. Um, but I have to say I am I am very surprised that and you know, I, I think he's a good manager. I this is obviously a very tall task for any manager. I don't care if you put like I mean name whoever you think the best manager of baseball is, if you put him in this spot, like I don't know how many games they would win either. Uh but it's I'm very surprised to see that Mason wanted to take this job, especially, you know, at this point in his career, thought he'd be a little bit choosy, maybe with like, Hey, like I, like, uh, I'm waiting for the right opportunity. I'm not just going to take any, um, of, of opening that comes up. And then, I mean, to see him take the, uh, I mean, I mean, you're on the road the entire season. Like it's, it is a tough job. And I mean, good for, good for those players and, and, uh, and good for Empire State that they were able to do it. But, I, I'm surprised that I'm really surprised that that Mason took this job. Very surprised. Yeah, like the only thing that can kind of come to my mind is that maybe he wants another Atlantic League gig, and with Hagerstown coming in next year, it's like, oh well, I could do this Empire State thing for you know a year, and then I could jump to Hagerstown. But at the same point in time, Frederick's an option if you wanted to do that and have a challenge, but. Like, I guess it makes sense in the in the line of thinking of if he doesn't really, you know, 
I don't want to say he doesn't want to manage anymore because obviously, you know, there's still that opportunity there. But if you want to start to transition away from managing, which, you know, especially on the independent league level is kind of a, a grueling task because not just in the summer where you're doing, you know, like the actual managing part of it. In the offseason, too, you're scouting guys, you're going through, you're building your roster, you're doing a lot of other work here. It's not necessarily like on the affiliated level where it's like, okay, you still got some offseason work to do, you know, there's still player development tasks to do. But once you get to the regular season, you're not really handling the roster. Someone else is doing that for you. And in a lot of cases, they're like, okay, here's what your lineup's going to be for the day. And here's what your objectives are, right? Like, on the independent level, it's like, okay, you're in charge of the roster because the GMs, you know, they, they're going to handle it, but they also have to make sure that the team turns profit. They got to make sure there's other events scheduled there. There's a lot more that that GM's going to have to do than just the roster. So it's like being a manager is more like, yeah, you're also kind of in charge of baseball ops for a lot of teams. So when you're going ahead and doing all that stuff, it kind of wears you down after a while and understandably so. So maybe it's like, okay, you know, I don't really want to have to deal with this grind too much longer, but I want to stay active in the game. I want to kind of dial it down a little bit and transitioning to being like, okay, I'll handle the Empire State Grays. I'll be a bit of a gauntlet for a year, but then once they're gone, you know, then I'll be able to go and maybe manage an Empire League team where it's, you know, like a 90 day to 120 day schedule. It's a lot easier to do, and I'll be able to do instructional work for a large chunk of the year, and it'll be a bit of a slower and easier pace. Like, that makes sense to me then. It's like kind of like that soft transition. But, you know, if it's, if we're looking at this from just like a traditional sense of like, oh, the guy that's fourth all time in Atlantic League wins with over 606 wins, it wants to go ahead and, you know, try to get another big, type of coaching role kind of have the same holy head in york i don't know if this is the geek for that <laughs> yeah it's it's confusing i i definitely i definitely see what you're saying nick uh, i think that possibly he didn't really want to have a whole lot to do with trying to kind of kind of like take a step back where you just have to worry about managing when granted there's still a lot of other not great parts of the job. I mean, yeah. again, don't have home games and, uh, and, and the travel's rough and it, it's just, it's something that's really surprising. And like, I don't, I don't, like you say, if you, if he's looking to get another Atlantic League job, I don't know why this would be the gig you, unless he's just saying like, Hey, unless he's doing like a favor for the guys of the Empire League, which is also a possibility too. I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of, it's a weird timing on it. And, uh, I mean, again, great for the Grays. And I mean, again, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. I mean, in the wins and losses, but I guess maybe in like the vibes and the morale. Yeah. Uh, I guess that, uh, you have a guy like Mason there, but it's still going to be a tough situation. And maybe there could be slightly, maybe, uh, be slightly improved from last year. But I think that. Uh, it, it's, it was definitely a turn I, I did not see coming in the least. I really didn't. Yeah. Like, I want to see what the rest of the staff's going to look like. Cause I know Jonathan Abadadejo was, uh, on the staff last year, I think as a bench coach. So I'm going to be very curious to see if he's like, yeah, yeah. Johnny A, come back. Because don't they have a, a relationship from the, from time in York or am I misremembering it? 
Well, uh, Alvin Dejo, I know, was in, in Lancaster, but okay. I think he okay. was there for a, a while, and he was a pitching coach under Ross Peoples. Okay, so yeah, so then he was Lancaster. I got them confused. I knew he was in Pennsylvania. I wasn't sure if it was yours. Yeah, no, he's with the not. Barnstormers. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, like, there's still probably a connection there. I mean, you play the guy enough, you're probably talking to him enough. I'm sure. So, I mean, like, maybe it's on that level. Like, I'm going to be very interested to see that. And I'm not going to lie, part of, like, the, the I just kind of want to see what happens part of me really kind of wants to see Telvin Nash playing for the Empire State Grays. Oh, my God. <laughs> because, like... Obviously, the Grays are still not going to be good. It doesn't really matter who you put on that team. I mean, they're just not going to be good. That's just, they're a traveling team. There's no disrespect. It's just the way it is. But if you had like Telvin Nash there against Frontier League pitching, man, I think Telvin Nash could probably turn into like a 10 war player. I think he just kind of single handedly wins them like two or three or four games. You know, like I'm very curious to see what he could do in a full 96 game season in the Frontier League, even if it is for the Grays. It would, to be honest with you, Nick, I think they would just walk him every time. Uh, I don't know if they give him the Courtney Hawkins treatment. I think at a certain point you have to pitch to him like that, or he's, I mean, I mean, with the rest of the lineup, you know, like why would you? That's a fair point. I mean, like, it's honestly a fair point. Cause, yeah, I mean, I mean if, in a hypothetical scenario, I mean, yeah, like, like him against Frontier League pitching would be kind of hilarious. But, like, at the same time, I feel like they just wouldn't pitch to him. Because why would you? Yeah, I mean, like, that's true. But at the same point in time, though, is a dude going to get walked, like, 200 times? Like, at a certain point, you got to pitch to him. Right, I'm sure they pitched him with some. I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting question. Of course, it'll never happen, but <laughs> it's fun to think about. I guess. Yeah, because I mean, like, there's gonna be situations too where there's like, if there's a guy on base, oh yeah, no, I'm not pitching to him. Just like, yeah, intentionally walk him. That, that's fine by me. But like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I kind of want to see. There's morbid curiosity where I really do. And equally as funny to me would be a guy getting like. 230 plate appearances and drawing like 210 walks like that'd be equally as funny to me just imagine imagine his on base percentage if that was the case yeah it, it would be it would be insane like i mean he's probably up near 500 yeah. i think honestly yeah, he bats like 10 for 20 draws 210 walks that <laughs> ops would just be off the chain just yeah, insane. That fun, fun thing to think about. Of course, it'll never happen. But how'd you get uh, an, an eighteen hundred OPS? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It it would be pretty insane. Yeah, but yeah, I'm curious to see how this works out, though. Like in a serious note, I am curious to see like how he's going to be able to do this because, like, obviously, when you saw the quality of player that the Empire State Grays had last year, and I'd say no disrespect, but I mean. It's kind of hard not to at this stage. There's like three or four guys on the team that was like, oh, okay, yeah, these are, you know, solid guys, legitimate guys. And then the rest of them was like, we could see why you're in the Empire League. You're not quite up to this level. You may be one day, but right now you're not. So I'm going to be curious to see, like, if he's able to pull in other guys that maybe aren't Empire guys, or if it's just going to be like, here's the Empire guys, pick the ones you want. And yeah. 
and kind of try to make it work from there. Like, obviously, Gil Rendon, or Rendon did not do well, 6-90, and 90, although he almost had a winning streak. You know, remember that stretch where they won two games in a row? We're like, are they about to win three in a row? Yes, I do remember, yeah. <laughs> we were like, hit the turnaround starts today. And then it was like, oh, no, wait, New York's about to just choke slam them after somehow New York managed to lose a Danny Wachanski start to, like, the Empire State Grays. We're not quite sure how that happened, but it won't happen again. And uh any case, yeah, like, obviously Rendon didn't do a great job, but he didn't have a lot to work with. I have to imagine Mason does a little bit better, but yeah, I think he has. I mean, you can't be worse. You can't. I mean, technically, you could be five and ninety-one. There's no. You can't be worse. I I see. But we're talking about a traveling team here, so you can be worse. I, I get it. I mean, I, there's just no way you can win less than six games. And he, I thought it, I thought you were crazy for saying that they might not win double-digit games at the beginning of the year. But you're right. <laughs> I know. Like, I really I want to go back and listen to that Frontier League preview and just kind of yeah. go back and hear, like, oh, yeah, I think they'll win, like, 15 games or, like, whatever we said about them. Because I'm sure it was something similar to the Apollos where we're like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, they're – they're not going to be a contender. They'll be lucky to win 20 games. And I just don't know what we said about that team. And I'm really curious to know if we were, like, optimistic about it. We were like, oh, maybe they win 20, 25 games. Or if we were just like, yeah, no, this team is not going to do it 12 wins. Yeah, it... I don't remember specifically what was said, but I mean, I remember saying, like, yeah, of course they'll get the double-digit wins. And you're like, I don't know about that. I'm like, Nick, they have to get the double-digit wins. They didn't, but I'm, I'm actually very curious about. I'm going to go back and listen to just that section of that episode when we're done here because I'm very yeah. curious to know what what I said about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, man, you the, he can't be worse. Mason can't. Mason can't have a worse team than that. You would, I, I think, I think. So at about one in the morning on December the third, 2022, do we want to have any sort of prediction as to how bad they're going to be? In ninety six games, it's hard. To, it's hard to do that without really knowing much of the roster. Like, Does it no. really matter who's on that roster? Like I'll I just, say, they, I'm going to say they win fourteen games. Okay, because I was going to say, like, I hate to just say it like that, but I mean, it's the grace. Like, it's not going to matter who's on that roster. They're not winning a lot of games. Yeah, I I'm, I'm going to go fourteen. Oh wow, more than doubling their win total from last year which is a very Correct. sad state of affairs. But I'm going to undercut you and go with uh, 12 wins. I think they doubled it exactly. I think they managed to put together like a three or four game winning streak at some point. And I feel like we're going to see a lot of 20 game losing streaks here. But I think 12 is the number. Of gonna, yeah, I think in like 12 is where I want to sit right now because I feel like they win like two or three a month. That's not that's not good when you're uh, you're saying that they'll put together a couple twenty plus loss losing streaks. That probably means your team won't be very good. I mean, like again, six and ninety, six and ninety, man, not good. That that's they nearly set the professional record for most consecutive losses, and then Tri City stopped them, but. Um, but we won't talk about that for the sake of Tri-City. 
about. Anywho, I think we've gone on long enough about the Greys and their futility. So, with that said, we don't really have too much else left to add. In fact, we have nothing else left for this week. But there is a point that I wanted to make because I realized before we jumped on, normally we've been, we should have been promoting like the Q&A that we always do at the end of the year. And we haven't promoted that yet. So, do we want to set a date for that? Or... Uh, because I'm looking at either, I'm looking at either the 23rd or the 30th. Uh, let me look. Let me look. 20, 23rd or what? Or the 30th is where I'm at. Because then that gives uh, us like 23rd, a 23rd. Because 30th, I have I have to engineer something. I have to engineer for Islanders that night. Okay, so then we'll go with 23. All right, so let's see how's that. One, two, three weeks away. So we got three weeks. Try to get questions in for a Q&A. We're going to do that on the 23rd when we're going to record it. So make a point to try and get them in before the 23rd. I don't know when we're going to record on the 23rd, but we're going to record on the 23rd, and it'll come out on Christmas Eve. So that's your Christmas gift from us is a Q&A episode. As we say every year, the Q&A episode is as long as you make it. We're going to go until we're out of questions, whether that's five minutes or 25 minutes or 50 minutes or as in the case in past years, 90 minutes to two hours. It's going to go on as long as you ask questions for. So uh, whatever you have a question, regardless of what it's about, if it's independently related, if it's related to the show, if it's related to one of us, if it's related to any of the independent teams or just a general question that you're curious to hear our thoughts on, be sure to send it in. You could do that via the social media, which I'll, I guess I'll just plug that now. I mean, it makes the most sense to do it now, uh, which would be Twitter and Indie Ball Pod, would be Instagram at uh, Indie Ball Report, AOPB underscore news. Uh, submit questions to any of those places. We'll have those. You could do so via email as well, IndieBallReport at gmail.com if you want those. I, can, I think I kind of prefer email just because then I can star it so that way I'll have it. But like I said, any method really works. You could tweet at us, DM us, email us. These are all options here. I guess you could leave a YouTube comment as well. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to see it. So I would not recommend doing that. So those are all options. December 23rd, we're recording it. December 24th, it will be out. So get the questions in for the Q&A episode. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's... It's one of my favorite episodes of the year, for sure. So I'm uh, get your questions in, and hopefully we're, we have a nice long show talking about your questions and independent league baseball. Yep, absolutely there. And on that note, uh, only thing left we have to plug is the podcast itself and the website, IndieBallReport.com, which everything I just mentioned is on there, plus show notes, plus episodes. Go to the website for that. And uh, also, you can find the show wherever you find podcasts. So that's tune in. That's... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, you know, any of the major podcast platforms were on there. So rate, review, subscribe if you're able to, you know, the deal by now. Uh, feedback is appreciated so we know how to tailor the show. And, uh, and yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at. Do we have anything else left to add this week? The thing I, I've just a couple quick things to add. One, college football playoff is starting to, happen soon and usc losing uh kind of hilarious yeah uh and so i guess ohio state is 
jumping for joy because they're going to be in. And all I'm saying, it's all it's going to take is maybe TCU losing, and then Bam and Bamas will get in. I don't know that. I just I have a feeling they'll get in anyway. I, oh, I expect Bama. Bama is going to be in Ohio State. I just have a feeling on that. I don't know why. I, that would suck, but uh, <laughs> does I will that say, stop them? They did announce that starting in 2024, 12-team college football playoff. Lots of fun. I dig it. I like it. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. And Rutgers basketball. They're uh, hopefully starting to get healthy, and they're playing the Indiana Hoosiers, who for some reason people think are good. And I'm sorry. By the way, the North Carolina Tar Heels also suck. That team's not good. Um, that is, that, you know, that's, I was going to talk about how Rutgers owns the state of Indiana. And uh, and they're gonna upset the upset the Hoosiers at the rack this weekend. But I'm gonna go on a different thing. How and and I I think you, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me that on this one, Nick. How on earth were the North Carolina Tar Heels the number one ranked team in the preseason in college Preach. basketball? How absolutely because insane. people for whatever reason thought their run in March was legitimate when anyone that watched the ACC knew they were a mediocre team that got hot and quite frankly they were probably the second or third best team out of all the ACC teams that made the pop that made the tournament last year they're not I mean, that they're good an eight seed I know I know honestly mm-hmm. Miami was a better team I'm not gonna lie to you I was way more afraid of Miami now obviously it didn't work out but in the end, they were not that good. What happened was Brady Manick got hot, as well as Armando Baycott. Those two yeah. kind of dragged them kicking and screaming through. And, I mean, are we also going to forget the fact that Baylor came within seconds of eliminating them? Yeah. And then they got, the, they got the lucky draw of having St. Peter's, which overachieved like hell. I mean, like, they didn't exactly have the hardest run. And when they faced real opponents, they were pushed to the brink. So, like, they're not a good team. Not to mention that before they went on their losing skid, they had a bunch of cupcakes that they nearly lost to as well. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, any ACC team is good this year. Duke's okay. They're all right. They have yet to really beat a meaningful opponent outside of Ohio State. But, and Virginia's all right. I'm not sold on them I think Virginia's great. Personally. I'm not sold on them yet. I have to watch them more to really say. I, I can't say they're not great. I can't say they are great because I haven't really watched them yet. But that said, I don't think the, the ACC is not that great this year. But right. Ohio, uh, but North Carolina is pff, probably the fourth best team in this conference. And, and not to mention, yeah. like, like I understand they brought like it was. It's just such lazy logic of they made national championship game. They bring back most of the roster. We make them number one. And you know who? You know who, what? What guy they didn't bring back? Their most important player by far, Brady Maddock. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Like I, Baycott's really good. Like I don't think Caleb Love is that great, honestly. Yeah. And and just you like teams get hot in the NCAA tournament. That's what happens. And you took them from an eight seed, bringing like the the most of the roster back, and you made them the preseason number one. And shockingly, like. They they were kind of, I mean, they took care of some of the buy games at home, but they didn't really dominate in any of those. And mm-hmm. then they head out to Portland and they really struggled. And they they go play at Assembly Hall and they don't look very good. And like, I don't know. It's I I just I don't understand the hype behind North Carolina. I don't get it at all. It, honestly, it's it's all about the run. And I feel like the national championship game. 
is really like the the best representation of how people view North Carolina. There's people that view them yeah. as the first half team that took up a big lead on Kansas and looked unstoppable. And then there's the people that view them as the second half team that blew the largest halftime lead in the history of the NCAA tournament to lose that national championship to Kansas, which I am hanging on to because I love that fact. And I pray to God it never changes. But I, I knew they were the second half team. People that watched them knew they were that second half team. They got hot. They had a fantastic run. Can't take that from them. But when the new year starts, you got to reevaluate it. And quite frankly, Houston or Gonzaga deserved that number one spot over them. And the, yeah. it's just, this is how it is. Houston's really good. Like if Houston and North Carolina played, Houston runs that team out of the gym. Yeah. With those, yeah. with those athletes they have on that team. And honestly, I think you could say the same for a team like, uh, I think I think UVA is better than North Carolina. I think Duke's better than North Carolina. I mean, obviously, all those games will be close no matter yeah. no matter what. But like, I think if you put like even like Creighton against North Carolina, I think Creighton wins by fifteen. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, not a fan of North Carolina. That's the overall point. Stop hyping up blue bloods just because they're blue bloods. Actually, watch the actually watch the game. You know who deserves to be number one more than North Carolina? Oh, Hofstra. You know, I won't disagree. They're playing Purdue this this week, though. Oh, well, from experience playing Purdue, good luck. Yeah, it's not fun. Not, not that. Uh, unfortunately, we do not have a seven foot four center, so that it could there. It might be a little difficult. It was difficult with him. It's going to be very difficult without. But one thing we both have in common is we get to see that seven foot four center. That is that is true. That as well true. as, which I want to point out here, because we're both going to be seeing the uh, Jimmy V Classic this upcoming week. This tournament has wound up becoming from like, oh, you know, late game, you know, you got Duke in there and you got these other teams that should be pretty decent to like, oh, wow, we may have three top 10 teams in this tournament with all yeah. four teams ranked possibly. The, the, this this like this Jimmy V Classic that 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 Nick and I were going to together. Yeah. I mean, what great basketball games! That yeah. what great matchups. Even I mean, Iowa's Iowa's good too. Yeah. I mean, that's they, they they score. I mean, it, I'm pretty sure that's Keegan Murray's brother who gets buckets for them. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah, lots of lots of good basketball on Tuesday night at, at uh, the world's most famous arena. Yeah, like I'm really looking forward to this. Like I bought those tickets back. Like I think it was September. Because I was like, oh, Duke's playing. I want to see Duke in person because I never get to see Duke in person. And, you know, it's just turned out to be, like, actually really solid. Like, I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing Texas play Illinois now. Yeah. And uh, don't ask what happened when Illinois played Syracuse. Syracuse sucks. I'm a- Jim Beheim Rand will get saved for next week. You know, on one hand, like, and I- I'll leave the Beheim Rand too because it's like, I kind of like Syracuse. But at the same time, with them being in conference, I do like them being incompetent because it's like, okay, that's one conference game I don't have to worry about. It's going to be the the annual time where Duke comes up to Syracuse. Syracuse sells it out, and they're like, they like thirty three thousand people, and Duke wipes them out by forty. <laughs> God, it's funny watching like the giant shift in opinion on Bayheim. From all the Syracuse people, because I have a surprisingly large amount of Syracuse people in my orbit, and just seeing the shift that's gone on over the last two or three years is 
very cool to watch. It's not like it's it's cool in more of a morbid way because it's like, wow, they really went from like you know he has yeah it's done a lot for this school to you know I maybe it's time to just get the man gone already. It's so bad. It is Nick. It's it's pitiful. It's so bad. This is what they happens. Lo- I mean, they've lost to Colgate and Bryant. Like I don't even know what to say. The I mean, thank God they bad. won when I was there, but you know. You know, we'll leave it at this. Syracuse is a cautionary tale to all Power 5 schools when you don't embrace the one-and-done era. Amen. It's what happens. And the thing is, too, every so often, as we've seen with other ACC schools, I'll talk about Duke because I know them the best, you have players which you're like, they're going to be one-and-done or two-and-done, and then they wind up being Grayson Allen, and you're like, huh, he stayed for four years, and he was pretty good all four. <laughs> You never know. Yeah, all you, it takes. You, nev- you never know what, what's going to happen. Oh, also, you know how many players Syracuse added in the transfer portal this year? I'm going to guess none. Going into this year, yeah, freaking zero, none. They're playing. They're playing with five or six freshmen in the rotation, and wow, shockingly, it's not working. <laughs> it's see, I I don't want to go too much into it, but at the same point in time, at least if you were like, okay, it's a rebuilding year, but next year will be better. You can at least have some hope. You could come to terms with it, but it's like I don't expect it to be better. It's just gonna get worse. It's brutal. I'll save my Bayheim rant for next week because I got one. Well, that's something for you kids at home to look forward to. Well, it's Jim Bayheim rant, especially after watching like the Jimmy V Classic that we're probably going to get, and watching like these top tier ranked teams, and knowing that was once Syracuse, and now it's not. Yep, hundred percent. So. We'll leave you with that to look forward to. I'm in the process of talking to people to get things scheduled, so we'll probably have somebody on. But I don't know for certain, so I'm not going to commit to it. And once again, reminder, 23rd Questions In Q&A episode. And until next time, don't forget to play ball.